Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. All right, who's excited to be here tonight? Excited to be here? Awesome. Awesome. I am so pumped, so honored to be here. Uh, MC, I just want to say likewise, you are a brother and uh, love every time I'm around you. It's just so refreshing. And I feel that way about this place and this camp and the people here, Pastor Jordan, Pastor Morgan, and uh, Dr. Jacobs. It's an honor to be here again. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an amazing camp. I hope that you realize that. I hope that you realize that the spirit of honor, the spirit of faith that is here in this place, it's rare and it's amazing. And I've gotten to hang out with Brother Sean as well uh, this week. And love you, sir. Appreciate you. You're a blessing. And uh, so, man, I can't wait to get into it. Are you ready to get into it tonight? I'm ready to go. So you can go ahead and take your seat. And uh, we're going we're gonna to go for it. But uh, like AMZ mentioned, I am from Faith Family Church. And I've been there since I was two years old. And can I encourage you with something? When God calls you to a church... Don't let the enemy push you out. Don't let any person pull you out of where God's placed you. Stay planted in the house. The Bible says, whoever's planted in the house of the Lord, they'll flourish in the courts of our God. I believe if you truly want your life to flourish, if you truly want to see God anoint you for what you're anointed for within the body of Christ, you have to have a spiritual covering and you have to be planted in order to reap the benefits of being in a local church. So make sure that you are planted. We live in a world where it's become normal to be potted, and I believe that we're called to be planted. And hopefully my time starts after that, So, because that's not part of my message, but I will say this, the local church has changed my life. I'm a local church person. I love the local church. Uh, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Guess what? All of hell will try, but it's a promise that he's going to build his church. And I'm so thankful to get to accompany him, to be his hands and feet on the earth in building his church. But I want to get right into it tonight. I have a lot to share with you. We're going to get into some ministry time. My prayer for you has been that you would experience the goodness of God tonight and that you would have an encounter in his presence like you've never had before. I believe that God has something specific for each and every person that's in this room tonight. I believe that you're here on purpose for a purpose, and God has something for you. Are you expecting something? Are you expecting to encounter God tonight? So I want to speak to you from the title tonight, Draw Near. Everybody say, Draw Near. Draw Near. And turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 8. It says this in James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. As I was reading through James, I've been on this journey, and really as a church family, which I feel like I'm with family, so I'm going to share a family message tonight, if that's okay. Um, we've, been, we've been in this, in this time of just wanting so, uh, so much and being so stirred to draw near to God in this season, to create space intentionally to draw near to God, to create space to come close to God. And James, as I've been reading through the book of James, you could read through the book of James and easily be like, James, are you mad, bro? Like, are you just angry? Like, the tone seems like he's like, man, he's correcting some things. He, he's letting them know. And James, he's the half-brother of Jesus, and 
He wrote this to uh, first century Jewish Christians. He wrote it, in fact, in James 3, as he was writing, he describes the so-called wisdom of this world. And the so-called wisdom of this world is, hey, find out what it is that, that you really want, whatever you really want, and then go after it with everything that you've got, no matter what the cost to get it. And what that leads to, James tells us what that leads to, is it leads to bitter envy, and it leads to selfish ambition. And he said, because of this bitter envy, and because of this selfish ambition, because of going after all of the wrong things, it's causing fights, it's causing quarrels among you, it's even causing you to kill for what you think you want. Because you're going after it with everything. Does that not sound like the world that we live in today? We have people that will do anything, that will fight each other, that will argue each other, that will just get angry about whatever. We live in a culture and a climate that is so crazy right now. And James is writing in a culture and a climate that is like this, where people have become so caught up with themselves, so caught up with what they think that they want. And James is trying to tell them, hey, what you think that you want, it will never satisfy. There is something that you need, and it's only found in drawing close to the one who created you. James is letting them know right off the bat that there is something that they're missing. So when, when he's saying draw near or come close, this proximity, it has to do with a heart posture. It has to do with a, with, a, with a heart position. It has to do with a pursuit. James is saying the things that you've been going after, looking for satisfaction, looking to fulfill you, they can never actually do it. How many of you know that Jesus, that he is, that our heavenly father, that he is not only our provision, but he's our protection, that he's our, he's our purpose. Everything that we need is found in him. And if we're looking anywhere else, we can look in all of the wrong places to try to fill a void in us that only he can fill. So James is writing them. He's saying, listen, your pursuit's wrong. Your priorities are wrong. It's time to reprioritize. It's time to get the affection of your heart right. It's time to get that posture of humility that says, God, I need you. James is telling them, simply let go of your pride and trying to do things your way to get what you want and take on humility and come close to God because he has all that you need. The enemy, the enemy will stop at nothing to keep you from coming close to God to keep you from drawing near, to keep your heart and your priorities focused on other things. He does it through deception. He does it through distractions. He will stop at nothing because he knows your heavenly father, he longs for an active and authentic relationship with you. The Bible says that his thoughts towards us are more than the number of grains of sand on the shore, that we're his masterpiece, that he's created us for good works. He knows what we were created for. He loves us just the way that we are because he created us that way and he longs for a relationship. The enemy will stop at nothing to make that relationship never reach the potential that it could. He wants to do it through deception. 
He wants to do it through distractions. He wants to do it through getting your focus on all of the wrong things, getting you chasing all of the wrong things. It's in him and him alone that we find fulfillment, that we find satisfaction. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Matthew 6, 33, we all know it. A lot of us could quote it, but it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his way of doing and being right, and all of these things will be added to you. What things? The things that the world chases after, the things that the world will quarrel and fight for, the things that the world is spending all of its time pursuing. Matthew 6.33 tells us, just seek first the kingdom. And then all of those things will be added. See, God wants to add everything to your life, but he wants to be the pursuit. He wants to add good things to your life, but he wants your heart. He wants your affection. He wants your attention. He wants to be the priority in your life. In Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what he created you for, and sometimes we think we know what we want, but how many of you know he knows what we need? He knows who we've been created to be. He knows what we've been created to be, so it would make sense that coming close would be the answer to so many things that are going on in our lives when it comes to feeling complete and being complete. So the only way to be fulfilled, the only way to truly experience satisfaction is to come close to him. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how the enemy, he always wants to get us chasing the counterfeit, looking for something to complete us. He wants to get us chasing the counterfeit. And and I'm like, man, give me the real thing. And I was thinking about this. And back when I was in high school, maybe you're like me, uh, we would have have like get-togethers. And I was a part of youth group. I'm a church kid. So when we watch movies, we watch G-rated movies. I know you're going to make fun of that. My parents had really strict boundaries. Then I wasn't so thankful for it. Now I am so thankful that I had strict parents that kept me on the straight and narrow and kept me from a lot of things that would hurt me, harm me, contaminate me. I'm thankful today for that. But I'll never forget getting together with my church friends and, and it was all about Cool Ranch Doritos and Mountain Dew. How many of you are with me? Cool Ranch Doritos and Mountain Dew. There was nothing worse than when someone showed up to the party with, with some ranch chips. Like not ranch chips. No, that's not what we want. We don't want the counterfeit. Give me the Cool Ranch Doritos. There was nothing worse, and I think they have some pictures of these. There was nothing worse than when someone showed up with mountain lightning. Yeah, we got, the, we got the ranch chips. The ranch chips. The texture was different. The taste was different. And it's like, that just, that just ain't, that's not it. There's nothing worse than when somebody brought the mountain lightning instead of the mountain dew. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know it was cheaper, but it also tastes cheaper. Give me, give me the real thing. And then, and then I'll never forget, how many of you like going to Marshalls? Anybody like going to Marshalls? Do you guys have Marshalls around here? It's like a department store. My, my, my boys and I, we love going to Marshalls. The other day, we were in a Marshalls store, 
And uh, Jude, all of a sudden, he and I are into shoes. We like shoes. Jude is eight. He's awesome. He's like the most competitive kid I've ever met. He's more competitive than I even was. And he's just, he's awesome. He's got like a type A personality like his mom. He's like ready to go after it. So he sees a pair of shoes at Marshall's. And all of a sudden, we're walking. And he goes running. He goes running towards the shoes. And he's like, no way. And he pulls them out. He thought they were Yeezys at Marshall's. But what they really were was, was feesies, you know what I'm saying? They were, they were feesies. They were those, those ones on the left, those fake ones, and they were like real cheap, and, and the bottoms were all messed up, and he, he, he looked so excited, and he went from so excited like this to this, and his countenance falls, and he's like, why? Why would somebody do that? Why would they make it? Why would they make a fake? I'm like, we live in a fallen world, son. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. And there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing worse than when you, you should have real money, but you've actually got fake money. My other son, Weston, he's five now, but when he was three years old, he's like, Dad, I want to go to the store. I want to go to the toy store. I want to go to Toy Kingdom. There's a, there's a place called Toy Kingdom uh, where we live, and do I need to say any more? It's like every toy known to man um, in, in the same place. And so my kids love it. He's like, I want to go to Toy Kingdom. And I'm like, buddy, you don't have any money. You spent your money last week. No, I have money. And he went and got his, his, his fake money out of his room. And I was like, that's the money I bought you from the dollar store. That's not real money. You can't buy anything with that. And his countenance fell. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing good about the counterfeit. There's just nothing good about it. I'm like, give me the real thing. Give me the real thing. So when it comes to the things that the enemy is trying to get us to chase after, I believe that we as followers of Jesus and as Christians, we need to be like, no, uh-uh, give me the real thing. I, I know the real thing. I, I know God. I know my heavenly Father. And I know that in Him is found everything that I need. So I don't need the things of this world. I don't need the contamination and the hurt that comes from that because the things of this this world will cause you to chase after them, but they will never truly complete you. It's simply a counterfeit. I'll never forget one Christmas. I was the youngest of four. So I, so I came 14 years behind the youngest brother to me. So I, I don't think I was planned, but God had a plan. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I'll never forget my, my brothers and my sister, they always would play jokes on me. They always would play uh, tricks on me, like especially around Christmas time. Like one Christmas, I remember I was like five, and uh, all of a sudden I hear all this commotion up on the roof, and I hear bells jingling, and it's like a little bit later at night, I'd just gone to bed a little bit ago, and I'm like up in my bed, like I'm five-year-old me, just like so excited, like... It's Santa! And I'm like running, Mom, Dad, Santa, he's up there. I hear him. I hear the bells. I hear, I hear the footsteps. And they're like banging, making a bunch of noise up there. And I'm like, he's up there. I can't believe it. Do we put out the milk? Do we put out the cookies? This is great. And I like run downstairs. I run into the kitchen. And by the time I get to the kitchen, my brothers and my sister, they're in there just cracking up. And they're like, gotcha. Like, come on, I'm five, what's going on? So cruel. But then I remember, I'll never forget another year, I wanted a Super Nintendo for Christmas. Anybody, any gamers, anybody into video games? 
I'm not really as much anymore, but I was then. And so I remember I wanted a Super Nintendo. And so in the, in the room under the tree, there's this big box, right? There's this big box with this big shiny bow. And I'm like, surely that's my Super Nintendo. This is so exciting. And so naturally, I went to that present first and I open it. And I open the box, the huge box, and all of a sudden there's a little bit smaller box in there. I'm like, that's okay, they're just building anticipation. This is good. And so I open the next box, I'm like seven or eight, I open the next box and there's another box in there. Open the next box, there's another box. Open the next box, there's another box. Open the next box, there's another box. And that box is just full of paper. What looks so shiny, what looks so exciting, what looks so enticing was actually empty. And I want to encourage some of you that some of the things that you've been chasing after, that relationship that you've been chasing after, that thing that you think you want, that you've been going after with everything, it might look exciting and it might look enticing, but it will leave you empty just like that present had nothing actually in it. There is no substance in the things that you're chasing, but there is substance in him. There's something about when you call on the name of the Lord when you come close to him there's something about the satisfaction that comes from him and him alone in his presence in his word finding out who you really are that is the only thing that can ever complete you can ever satisfy you can ever fill the void that is in you my heart tonight is I want to encourage you to lean in to create space this week, to come close to God, to make an intentional choice to pursue Him over everything, to go after Him, to have the right posture, to have a posture of humility knowing, God, I, I need you. I need you with you. I know all things are possible. Without you, I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing. You, you are everything. There's something about when we know you won't truly be content. I want you to write this down. You won't truly be content in your life until you come close. You will not truly be content. You'll look for it in all the wrong places. You'll look for contentment. But I wanted to share just a few things with you tonight that happen as we come close. A few things that happen as we come close. The first one is simply this. We experience his goodness. We experience his goodness. I know this was on James' mind as he was writing because in James 1.17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And I just want to encourage you with this, that in him there's no shifting shadow. He's not one day, one way, or one way one day and, and another way another day. He's the same yesterday today and forever. God is good. He's never bad. He's never both. See, religion will tell you that God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. Religion will tell you that no one can really know the ways of the Lord. But I want to encourage you that if you get into the word of God, the Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, that he is good and he's only good. 
And I believe that God wants each of us to experience his goodness, not just hear about his goodness in the lives of others. He wants us to experience his goodness. See, a close relationship will help you to know this, that every good thing is found in him, that it's in him that you find rest. It's in him that you find peace that passes all understanding, that even though there are pressures that come in this world as we face trials and as we face different storms and different tests, there is pressure. But there can be a peace on the inside that passes all understanding that doesn't make any sense in the natural because it's actually a supernatural peace birthed by the Holy Spirit. You can have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. What does that mean? That you can have joy in the midst of the worst of circumstances. You can be going through the worst on the outside and still stir up joy on the inside. That's a good gift from our Father God that he will give us joy. You can experience and find healing for your body. You can find deliverance from the things that have had you bound. Some of you have been bound to the same addiction, the same sin, the same slip up for as long as you can remember. And I believe that in God we can find freedom for those things. As we come close, all of a sudden, the chains of bondage can be broken in an instant when we come close because the presence of God is more powerful than the bondage of sin. The presence of God God is more powerful than sickness and disease. The presence of our God is more powerful than anything that might be coming against you. Anxiety and depression. Every name has to bow to the great name of Jesus who has won the victory, who has paved the way for us to come close, for us to approach, for us to have access to the presence of God. I believe that there's something about knowing who your God is. See, a person with an experience, there's something different about them. Uh, see, a person with an argument, because how many of you know people have arguments today? Have you noticed this? Is it just me? What makes you think God actually heals today? See, a person with an argument is no match for a person with an experience. You can't tell me God doesn't heal. I've seen him heal. You can't tell me God doesn't deliver. I've seen him deliver. You can't tell me my God isn't a miracle worker because I've seen him perform signs, wonders, and miracles. You can't tell me that the move of the Spirit isn't real because I've felt his Spirit move and stir something on the inside of me that just like Amzie was singing about earlier, stirred up a fire in me. I love what John Wesley said. He said, light me on fire so the world can watch me burn. I believe that we need more Christians who have experienced the goodness of God that goes ahead and stokes a fire, stokes a flame on the inside of them for the things of God. I'll never forget being back in Bible school in college and my friend had an injured shoulder. He had ripped apart his shoulder in a snowboarding accident and he couldn't lift it beyond here. He literally could not lift his arm beyond here. And I'll never forget standing next to him in that worship experience and all of a sudden we're worshiping and the power of God fell. And both of his arms shot up in the air. Complete and total healing of all the ligaments that were damaged. In the presence of God. I've seen him do it. I've seen people stand up out of wheelchairs. We serve a healing, miracle-working God. We serve a God who's all-powerful. 
See, the enemy would love for us to just go halfway with God. Just, just stay at a halfway place. Just say, well, I'm good. Just casual Christianity. I don't want to be casual in Christianity. I want to be consecrated and I want to see God move in a powerful, all-consuming way in my life so that he can move that way through my life. I want to put a demand on the anointing. I want to put a demand on his presence in my life. There's something about that. There's something about that. Man, for some of you, I believe that this is going to be a night where you experience the goodness of God. Maybe people have been bad to you. Maybe you have, have hurt. The Bible says that he's near to the brokenhearted, that he binds up their wounds. I believe for some of you, this is going to be a healing on the inside that takes place while you're here at camp. I don't know what it is for you. Some of you, maybe it is that addiction, but I believe he's going to set you free from that in his presence tonight. I believe we're going to have an encounter. The second thing is simply this. You gain his perspective. You gain his perspective. I don't know about you, but in the culture that we live in right now, I need his perspective. So I'm fully persuaded about the truth, not trying to figure out my truth. How many of you know if your truth doesn't line up with the truth, it is nothing? The truth is the truth. And the Bible says that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Where's the truth found? In him. It's the only place it's found. We live in a world that wants to say, live your truth. It's the most dangerous thing that you could possibly do. It is the most dangerous. It will lead you down roads you don't want to go down. It will cause you to accept things that you were never called to accept. It will cause you to sign off on things that you never would have signed off on. In fact, if we just flow as the body of Christ, if we just flow with the current of culture, it will take us places that we never wanted to go. There comes a time where we as followers of Jesus, we have to stand firm. The Bible talks about being fixed immovably. Being fixed immovably. So when storms come, when things come our way, it doesn't move us. I love what the Apostle Paul said. He was being stoned and shipwrecked and facing all sorts of persecution. And he says, in the midst of it, none of these things move me. Why? Because he was persuaded of the truth and of the one and the only one who mattered so that none of the outside circumstances mattered as much as what was happening on the inside of him which is that he had a joy and he had a peace and he had a sense of purpose on the inside despite the things going on on the outside. I believe that we've got to be fixed immovably. We've got to gain his perspective. You need to gain his perspective about yourself. You need to gain his perspective about others. We can't truly love people well if we don't have his perspective about others. We live in a world that is fighting, and if you haven't seen it, just get on social media for about five minutes, and you'll find that instead of loving people, there's so much hatred out there, and if we're not careful, we'll do exactly what the Bible says not to do, and we'll get caught up in the culture of this world without even thinking. The Bible tells us, don't get so caught up in this world that you act like it without even thinking. See, the only way to do that is to come close and gain his perspective. When I have his perspective, I'm able to love those I disagree with. When I have his perspective, I'm able to show out the fruit of the Spirit so that the world will know his goodness and actually give glory to him. The Bible talks about how even though they accuse you of trying to do wrong, they'll still see his glory shining through you through the fruit that you're bearing. 
I want to be that type of Christian. In the day and age that we're living in, I want to be the type that people look at my life and associate me with the one that I'm serving. You need his perspective about your calling. Some of you have your plans, but, but he may have plans that look different, and he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you were created for. When I was in high school, I couldn't imagine ever talking in front of people, ever pastoring or preaching. It was the furthest thing from what I thought I wanted to do. But he knew me better than I knew myself. Fast forward and I can't imagine doing anything else. I can't imagine not pastoring people, leading people in church and, and being a part of a local church and building it. You need his perspective about your situation. Some of you may have come in here and you're going through something right now. Your family is going through something right now. How many of you know we need his perspective on that situation? Because if not, we'll be tempted to get into fear. We'll be tempted to get into doubt and unbelief. And we're faith people. We believe what the Bible says. If God said it, that settles it. You need his perspective about, about the storm that you might find yourself in. Some of you might find yourself in a storm. Maybe you're not in one now. Maybe you will be in one. The Bible talks about how things will come just because we belong to Jesus doesn't mean that we won't face things in this life. But Jesus told us, hey, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We need his perspective to live like a victor and not a victim when we're going through a storm. And I don't know about you, but I need his perspective to do what it is that he's called me to do. If you don't have his perspective, you'll keep looking at what you're not instead of looking at who he is and walking in what he's called you to be or who he's called you to be. I need his perspective to walk in love with others. We talked about this just a moment ago. In a world that's full of division and hate, I believe one of the greatest ways that we as Christians can stand out is if we just love and within our churches we have a spirit of unity. The enemy has tried everything. He's tried everything to divide. This is what he does. He divides. He deceives and he divides. He deceives. He tries to get us making things that aren't the main thing. The main thing so that we miss the point. The reason that we're here. The reason that you and I are here on the earth. The reason that we're here today is we're here to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're here to show people the love of Jesus. We're here to fulfill his purpose here on the earth. If we don't have his perspective, we'll live so in the temporal, in the right now, so consumed with what's going on here that we won't realize that actually here isn't our home. We're residents of heaven called to be eternity-minded and eternity-focused because when we're all done here, the Bible says that this life is but a vapor. And when we're all done here in this life that is like that, that's here today and gone tomorrow, the only thing that will truly matter is how we've impacted eternity. What have you done with the gifts that God's given you? What have you done with what it is that he's called you to do? Did you live so focused on the here and the now and the temporal? Or did you have an eternity mindset? How many of you know if we draw close, he's going to give us his perspective about all of it. And in the day and age that we're living in, we need that. We need his perspective to not be overcome by a spirit of timidity and inferiority. And to live boldly, live boldly in our schools, in our workplaces, live out our faith. I need his perspective 
to be spirit-led and not flesh-dominated and dominated by the ways of my old sin nature. The Bible talks about putting that under, crucifying your flesh daily and being spirit-led. But I need his perspective to do that. I need to gain his perspective. The third thing is simply this. We have to know his voice. And when we draw near, we, we, know, we know his voice. I believe that this week, God wants to, to speak to your hearts. God wants to, to say something. If, when we draw close, when we create space for him to speak, he doesn't often speak in an audible voice, but he speaks through peace on the inside of us. It's a still small voice. It's peace on the inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit. The same way that he bears witness with our spirit, letting us know that we're sons and daughters of God. He, he bears witness with our, there's just something that, that seems right on the inside. There's just something that has, has peace on the inside. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 16, it says this, it says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you once more into a bondage of fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, the spirit producing sonship in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we're God's children. The same way that he affirms in our hearts and assures us in our hearts that we're children of God, he'll lead us by that same affirming. He'll lead us by that same peace. In fact, there are some things that we go to do and all of a sudden we just know. Have you ever had that where you're about to do something and you just know on the inside, man, I need to not do this. I need to not go there. I need to not be a part of that. Um, a, a person that I, that I highly respect called Brother Hagen, he uh, ran the Bible school or founded the Bible school that I went to. He said it this way. It's like getting in the shower with your socks on. Something just, it just seems off. Something doesn't, doesn't seem right. We need to learn to follow the leading of the Spirit in the small things daily so that then when the big things come up, it's more automatic. When you're coming close and intentionally doing that daily, it's much easier when you're obeying in the smaller things to then when God asks you on the inside, He leads you to do one of the big things. It's much easier to say yes. It's much easier to do that because that's become your habit. That's become your, your rhythm is, is being led by the Spirit. We live in a world that is flesh dominated. Do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. And sometimes doing what the Spirit is leading you to do, a lot of times is going to cause you to crucify your flesh. A lot of times it's not going to make sense to your natural mind. It won't necessarily be like what you would choose to do in the natural, but how many of you know it's the right way to go? It's the right thing to do. We need to learn to be able to listen. In John 10 verses 3 through 4, it says this in the amplified version, the doorkeeper opens the gate for this man and the sheep hear his voice and pay attention to it. And knowing that they listen, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out to pasture. When he's brought all his own sheep outside, he walks ahead of them and the sheep follow him because get this, they know his voice and they recognize it. See, Jesus, he is our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. We're compared as followers of Jesus to sheep. And Jesus is saying, hey, my sheep they know my voice. And not only do they know my voice, they, they pay attention to it. They lean into it. They, they, they 
listen to try to, to, try to hear it. I'll never forget, my, my, both of my sons played baseball this past year, and, and Jude, who I mentioned earlier, he's eight, and he's like, he's like a gamer, man. I'm telling you, he's like super competitive, uber competitive. Any competitive people in the house tonight? Anybody super competitive? I mean, he's like, he's like next level. He is competitive. And so he, like, loves it. He, he loves playing sports. And so he's out there, and, and we're playing baseball. It's like eight-year-old baseball. It's like temper, temper your expectations. You know what I'm saying? There's just a lot, there's a lot going on in, in eight-year-old baseball. And not as many people are as locked in as, as Jude happens to be. Like I said, he's like his mother, just pure focus. My goodness. And so, anyways, we're at the field, and I'm sitting there drinking my iced coffee because early in the morning, and uh, I'm just sitting there, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. You know, you've got the people, they're, up to, they're out in the field, and you've got the people in the dugout that are on the other team, the kids on the other team, and, and they're, they're like banging the bats against the fence. They're rolling around in the dugout. You know, in eight-year-old baseball, uh, jerseys get more dirty when they're actually in the dugout than when they're on the field. It's just wild. And so there's all sorts of noise going on, and then you've got the, the couple of moms over here crowded talking about what salad they're going to get from what place after the game and they're talking about whatever else just not paying attention and there's just all sorts of commotion then you've got all the little siblings you know because there's a bunch of younger siblings there and they're all running around screaming and there's a playground over here and so they're all running around screaming at the playground and there is just chaos going on I'm sitting there drinking my iced coffee my family's in the row and uh, Jude's out in the field and what I noticed was, was amazing. See, I would go ahead and I would say like, hey Jude, runners on first and second, plays at three. Plays at third. And Jude, despite all of the noise going on around, he would turn his head and nod. He wouldn't be like this, but he would just turn his head and he'd go like this and he'd nod. And then another person got a hit. And I was like, hey, Jude, bases loaded, plays at home. If you catch it, go to home. If you can make the play, if not, just step on third. And I'm just talking in a normal voice. I'm not like screaming. I'm not like one of those parents, you know. Um, some of you are one of those parents, and that's okay. We still love you. Um, I would be one of those parents. Let me just say that. If it weren't as early in the morning as it was, maybe I would be one of those parents. But, but I'm just talking, and he's listening. And all of a sudden, like, Jude just nods and acknowledges, and the ball gets hit to him on this play. And he catches the ball, and his first response was he catches it and instantly starts running towards home. He instantly realized, like, Dad said that the play's at home, so the second he caught the ball, it was already in his mind what he needed to do, and he ends up running, getting ahead of the runner, and tagging him out. And what I realized in that moment was, was Jude, he, he recognized my voice. And he was paying attention to my voice. Why? Because since Jude has been born, I have been a consistent voice in his life. Speaking things over him and talking to him and giving him instruction and helping him in things and, and training him in things. And, and he's heard me talk. He's heard my voice more than he's heard any anyone else's voice on that field, maybe besides his mother, but anyone else's voice on that field, he has heard my voice. And so what happens when I'm the, the voice that he's heard the most, I'm the voice that resonates the most, even when there's a bunch of other noise going on. The Bible says, Jesus said, my sheep 
They know my voice. They recognize it. In a world that's full of noise and full of chaos, they recognize my voice and they pay attention to it. This is so important because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 10, it says there are, it may be many kinds of voices in this world and none of them is without signification. There are so many voices in this world. There is so much noise in this world. Sometimes we need to draw near and create space for God to speak so that we can drown out the other voices so that his voice is the one that resonates because how many of you know his voice is the only one that matters there are there's not a shortage of voices there's not a short shortage of opinions that will turn your life upside down and get you going the wrong way and doing all of the wrong things but how many of you know the voice of our father it is a trusted voice it's a voice that we can trust. It's a voice that we can know. It's a voice that we can recognize and put our trust in and follow and know that he's going to lead us into the good things of this life. He's going to lead us into the best life that he has for us. He's going to lead us into good things. This is so important. It's so important that we know the voice of God. In the day and age that we're living in, we need to know the voice of of God. In 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 11 through 13 it says this. You can jot that down if you're taking notes. 1 Kings 19 11 through 13. So then he said go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after that after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, a still, small voice. So often, God isn't looking to speak to us in the big things. It says that he wasn't in the earthquake. It says he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in all of the things making all of the noise. But where was he? He was in the still, small voice. In order to hear from God, sometimes we have to be still. We have to be silent. We have to create space. And in a world that is more chaotic than ever, this is getting harder than ever. You live in the age of social media. You live in the age where there are more distractions and more things that could take your time than I ever even imagined when I was in high school. There are more things that you can fill your time and, and there's just stuff at your fingertips that you can be listening to. And the problem is so many people are building their theology, what they believe, their truth, what they're going to do with their life off of TikTok instead of the truth of God's word. And it's dangerous. You can become a TikTok influencer in about, in about a, a month. You can have a lot of followers and you can have terrible theology, but yet you can be talking about the Bible and giving your perspective about the Bible, this is dangerous. I've never seen a time like this where people could gain influence so quickly to speak as an expert to something that they have no idea about because they haven't cultivated a relationship over time. They haven't gone through the seasons of preparation and pruning to actually be preaching. There is something about seasons of preparation and pruning that they refine you so that you actually have a value and an honor and a way 
meditate on the Word of God that you're preaching. You have a fear of the Lord, a reverent awe, and a dread to displease. But people are grabbing their phones and they're doing this with none of the above and they're telling you what the Bible says and how you should live. Can I encourage you that Jesus is the shepherd, but he's called under shepherds. He's called pastors to pastor the flock. He's called pastors to lead people as under shepherds to Jesus. And you will never spiritually get where you need to be until you submit to an under shepherd, submit to the leadership of a pastor. Here's the thing. Sometimes they'll tell you things you don't want to hear. Sometimes they'll tell you things that, that, that you have to crucify your flesh. Sometimes they'll tell you things that, that you, you just don't want to hear in the moment. Because they love you enough to tell you what you don't want to hear, but what they know you need to hear. Because they actually care for you. Because they have the heart of God towards you. Because they've been through that refining. They've been through that pruning. They've been through that preparation. They're called of God. They have an anointing of God. They have an office of God. And an ability to speak into your life. That people without the calling, without the office, they don't have. It's important that we identify this. And I know I'm kind of getting off tonight, but, but I feel like, man, if I can, if I can stand in front of, t of students and just tell them how, how submitting to a pastor has changed my life. How having a pastor that is the steady voice. To this day, Pastor Mike, who I serve under right now, is the most steady voice in my life besides, besides the Lord. He's the most steady voice in my life when it comes to teaching and preaching. Why? Because God's called me to be in that house. So guess who I listen to more than I listen to the YouTube preacher? I listen to my pastor. Why? Because when I'm in the hospital or a family member is in the hospital, the YouTube preacher isn't going to come see me and pray with me. When I'm going through a family situation, the YouTube preacher isn't going to care for me in that situation. We live in a generation where this has become normalized to just, hey, your pastor can be whoever. No, who has God called you to be under? Sit under them. Stay under them. Learn to love correction because the Bible says who the Lord loves, he corrects. So sometimes he'll send an under shepherd to, to course correct. I believe that there's something about there's something about submitting yourself to a local church, to a house. There are things and spiritual equipment that you'll get when you submit yourself to a house, when you submit yourself to a covering. There are deposits that are made. There are things that are caught and taught. You rob yourself of those things if you don't go in wholeheartedly. We live in a culture that wants to deconstruct things. We live in a culture that wants to tear things down. We live in a culture that wants to find an area of disagreement and just throw the whole thing away based on that. But the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders. Pray for those who are in authority. 
Pray for our spiritual authorities. Pray for our pastors. Who you pray for, you gain a heart for. If you're praying for refreshing, if you're praying for joy, if you're praying for uh, just renewal of vision and just excitement and just refreshing and all of those things over your pastor, you're going to have trouble talking bad about somebody that you're praying about. We live in a culture that wants to talk to everybody else about what we disagree with instead of going to God and being mature enough to say, hey, even if I disagree with something, I'm not that self-absorbed to think that I'm always right. Because the reality is I'm not always right. You're not always right. We're perfectly human. And when we take things to prayer, a lot of times, guess what happens? It looks like a mirror that looks back at yourself and says, that was my problem, not theirs. This is why it's so important that we have a prayer closet and not just posting on social media. There are some things that you need to ponder and take to prayer and not just automatically post. Anyways, I need to move on. So the fourth thing is this. You guys were pulling it out of me. I'm sorry. The fourth thing is this. You have encounters with God that change your life forever. You have encounters. When you draw near, you have encounters with God that change your life forever. They change the trajectory of your life. They're, they're, they're mountaintop moments that happen. And sometimes they happen at a camp just like this. I've had mountaintop moments happen at camps. And I love camps. I believe one of the reasons that camps are so effective is you get out of your day-to-day. You get away from some of the distractions. You get away from some of the normal things that go on and you're away from all of the chaos of your normal life and you're able to become consumed with Him. It happens here, but it's not reserved to here. You can have encounters with God anywhere that you are. I could tell you time and time again, where I've had encounters with God and I was all by myself. I'll never forget God first dealing with me about my calling when I was pulling weeds, doing a job pulling weeds at an apartment complex. And God started to show me some of the things that I would, that I would step into and some of the things that I would do. And I would look and just be like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. A way I can talk in front of you. There's no way. And he would just continue to affirm that in my heart, continue to show me things, continue to affirm it, continue to show me things. And I had to take some steps of obedience that look like servanthood. Can I encourage you? If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Be willing to, be willing to serve. We live in a culture where everyone wants a microphone and nobody wants a mop. I actually feel more comfortable with a mop a lot of times than I do a microphone. Anyways, we have encounters with God that change our lives forever. I want to stay on this because my prayer for you, my prayer for you, my prayer for you over the last few months as I knew I was, I was coming here was that you would have an encounter with God this week like you never have before. That God would speak to your heart in the areas that you need it. See, I don't know the needs of every person represented here, but how many of you know he does? And the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. What does that mean? It means that when we lift him up, his glory actually comes down and it resides over us and the spirit of God hovers. And what does he do? He goes to each individual need 
as he hovers and he furnishes everything that's needed in the lives of people. And I believe he wants to do that in your life tonight. I believe for some of you, he wants to, he wants to birth God-sized dreams in your heart. For some of you, he wants to speak to your future. For some of you, he wants to sing over you. How many of you know some people have said things about you? And you've allowed those things to become embedded in your mind and get in your heart about you that you've actually believed lies about yourself that are negative? How many of you know God speaks a better word? And he wants to speak a better word over your life, that you are equipped, that you are anointed, that you are called, that you are somebody, that you're going somewhere, that he has a plan for your life, that he knows the thoughts that he has towards you. He wants to speak a better word over your life. For some of you, he wants to sing a song of deliverance over you. Some of you need delivered from something, man. You've been dealing with it. You need to experience the freedom of God. You need to experience the healing of God. I'll never forget in a camp setting just like this. I was a senior in high school and I'm in the worship experience and I kind of know God's dealing with me like about what I'm called to do. And I'm just running from it, man. I, I just don't, I don't want to do it at all. Like, man, my parents have been in ministry. My dad has been a pastor, family care pastor. My dad's been a family care pastor for over 25 years now. He and my mom uh, helped people with with their marriages and hospital visits and all of that for years. I love church. I always told God, like, God, I want to be like a lifelong usher. Like, <laughs> I want to be involved in your house. I want to build your house. I'll do anything in your house. I just don't want to do that. Like, you know what I mean? And I'll never forget being in a camp like this and going through praise and worship and I feel like God's dealing with my heart about something and I get back to the room and one of my friends looks at me and he says you know what he said I just wanted to let you know if, if you're uh, if you're going to go to Bible school I haven't mentioned anything about Bible school to anybody ever God's dealing with me about that potentially being where I need to go but I haven't mentioned it to anybody he says, I just wanted to let you know if you're going to go to Bible school, I'll go with you. I'll room with you while you're there. And I looked at him in that moment, in what could have been a God moment, and I looked at him and I said, what makes you think that I would ever do that? You know that I'm going to school for business. You know that I'm already registered at Kent State University, which is a university next to where we live, and I'm already registered there, and that's what I'm going to do. I don't know where you would get that idea. See, I missed out on the God moment because I wasn't fully open to it yet. And, and I just want to encourage you, there was a season that I remember being in a worship experience about a year, maybe a year and a half later, where I finally lifted my hands and said, God, you can have it all, even that. I will go wherever you send me to go. I'll do whatever you call me to do. And the freedom that came from that. The sheer joy that came from that. I knew in my heart I was being resistant. And here's what I want to encourage you in this moment. Don't hold back. Every person in here, you might have that one thing. That you say, God, I'll do anything. I'll give anything except for that. There's something that happens when you just let it all go in his presence. And you say, God, nothing matters as much as you. 
I'm here for your purpose. Whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do. If you say do it, I'll do it. If you say go there, I'll go there. If you say stay here, I'm going to stay here. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm open and I'm willing. There's something about when you empty yourself out before the Lord and say, here's everything that I am and everything that I aspire to be. I lay it at your feet that this overwhelming feeling of joy, of peace, and he starts to fill your heart with all that you need. He starts to be able to actually speak to your destiny, what he wants to speak to your destiny. He begins to affirm things in you. But sometimes it starts with you just releasing it to him. And I don't know what that thing is for you tonight. Maybe it's something that you've clung to that you're like, man, I just feel like this relationship, I know that it's wrong. But my identity's kind of wrapped up in it. And I feel like if I, if, I, if I lose that relationship, will anyone else ever like me? I'm not sure if they will. And so even though I know it's wrong, I'm just going to stay in it. Even though I know that it's not right and it's not the season for me to be in a relationship right now. I'm just going to let fear drive my decision to stay in it. See, faith lays everything out before God. The Bible talks about how the just, we, the just, shall live by faith. I want to live by faith. Even when it's hard, even when it seems like it costs me. Because guess what? Sometimes obedience will cost you. But the payoff is far greater than the cost. Can we stand to our feet? I'm going to ask the band to sing out. And what I want you to do, I want you to lift your hands all across this place. And I want you to, in your heart in this moment, say, God, I release everything to you. Everything that I am, everything that I aspire to be, I lay it at your feet. I ask you to have your way in me now. I came to hear from you. I came to encounter you. So, Father, right now, I lift up each and every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you for the plans, the callings, the giftings, and the graces that you've placed on the inside of each and every one of them. God, I thank you in this moment that you would speak to hearts. For those who have believed lies about themselves, that, that you would have a better word that you speak over them. That you would affirm in their heart who they really are in you. And Father, I thank you that whatever's needed in this moment, that you said as we lift you up, as we praise you, that your glory would fall and that your spirit would furnish whatever's needed. Holy Spirit, I ask you, move in this place. Have free reign in this place. Furnish whatever's needed in the lives of students and leaders right now as we worship. We thank you for it. Let's go ahead and worship. Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at The Quarry, check us out on social media.